you would take your Bible this morning and turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. It is good to be back. I appreciate the opportunity the church gave me to go to the Bible conference in Missouri. It was a real blessing, a challenge. Uh, preaching was, was great, really was great, and I like to thank you for that opportunity. Luke chapter 23, I'm going to read starting in verse 27, read down through verse 43. <clears throat> it says, And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? There were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privileges that we have to be assembled together and to open thy precious word. And Lord, I thank you for the cross of Calvary where our Savior suffered and died. And shed his precious blood that we may have life in him. And Father, I pray as look into the word of God today and consider this passage of scripture, consider the crucifixion and the meaning and the testimony of it. I pray, Father, that you'd open our minds and our understandings that we might receive thy truth, that we might truly know thee, the only true God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that we might be better able to give that knowledge to those around us that know it not. So have your will in your way, and may you be glorified, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we consider this passage of Scripture, this is part of, of course, the, the crucifixion account where he was actually crucified, there's a statement that stands out to me in this passage in uh, 
uh, it's made two times in verses 35 through 37. It says, And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also, saying, uh, And the people stood, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of Israel. And if the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. So I've told the message this morning, he would not save himself. He would not save himself. It wasn't that he could not. It is that he would not. Now I want to notice this morning several things, three things that he would not save himself from. First of all, from this passage, first of all, he would not save himself from the greatest humiliation. If you notice in verse 7 it says, or 27 it says, And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. Now, as you think about a crucifixion, one commentator said this, quote, According to the customs of a crucifixion, a Roman guard led with a sign that carried the man's name and crime, calling out the name and the crime along the way to the place of crucifixion. They usually didn't take the shortest way so as many people as possible could see how the Ro- Roman Empire treated their enemies, unquote. And of course, this is done to humiliate the enemy. You know, this was, this was common practice in, in times of war, uh, they would they would strip the the conquered the enemy they would strip them of their clothes to to shame them to humiliate them and this is what's being done here and of course the scriptures testify to this truth Isaiah fifty three three says he is despised and rejected of man a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him he was a despised and we esteemed him not. In Acts chapter 8, verse 33, uh, it says this, In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. In other words, he wasn't, he wasn't given a fair trial. It was taken away from him. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who should declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? So we see here, the, in my way of thinking, the greatest humiliation that was ever suffered. Now think about it. You have the Creator being beaten and crucified and dying at the hands of His creation. You have the one who's the giver of life, who healed the sick, He raised the dead, having His life taken by those to whom He gave life. You're the one whom, in whom is omnipotence, that is all power. He had power over the elements, the winds and the waves, over the demons of hell, but now being beaten or defeated at the hands of limited men. The one who knows all things, is before all things, transcends all time, exists in the future all at the same time, has allowed himself to be crucified in time. Go to Psalms chapter 22. Keep your place here, we're back. But Psalms chapter 22 gives a vivid description of his humiliation. Psalms chapter 22, verses 1 through 8. 
Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. In the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried in thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despise of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusts on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. So, so and of course, this is, the, this is a messianic psalm. Jesus quoted those words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And, and he says, you know, Our fathers trusted thee, and thou didst deliver them. The way he's saying is, but thou didst not deliver me. He was humiliated. He was put to the shame, and no one helped him in his humiliation. Not even his father. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record there was darkness for three hours from the sixth to the ninth hour. At the end of which Jesus cried those words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now we don't really know what happened during those three hours of darkness. But Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Bobby Mitchell said, I believe that during those three hours of darkness, the Heavenly Father whipped his son. Chastened him. He took our chastening and the punishment, the judgment, the whipping that I deserved. And, and that God chastened his son uh, during those three hours of darkness. You know, this is, this is the one. This is the one who, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. See, he would not save himself from the greatest of humiliation. humiliation. Secondly, He would not save himself from the the greatest false allegation ever committed. Go back to our text in Luke chapter 23, verse 35, it says, And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them deride him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription was written over him in letters, of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Now, this statement that was written over him is true in one sense. He is the coming king. He is the coming king. He will be king of kings and lord of lords. He will be the king of the Jews. He will be king on the throne of his father David, in the millennium. 
However, this statement written here was not talking about that. It was written declaring his cry. It was written to declare his cry. You see, when a man was crucified, it was customary to write his sentence on a tablet and nail it to his cross. So this was written so that all passing by might see that Jesus was crucified as an insurrectionist. It was written in Greek, the language of the culture, in Latin, the language of the authorities, and in Hebrew, the language of the religion of the day, so that all might know. You see, Pilate wrote it knowing it was a lie. In fact, in, our, in, in chapter 23 of Luke here, three times Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Verse 4, Then said Pilate, the chief priest and the people, I find no fault in this man. Verse 14, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people, and behold, I have examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him. And then again in verse 22, he says, And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. You know, the thief knew it too. Verse 42, the thief says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And yet, though it was a lie, yet he was treated as one so mean or so low that a fair trial was denied him. Isaiah 53, 8, 9 says, He was taken from prison from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he is cut off out of the land of living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit, deceit in his mouth. You see, his judgment was taken from him. No one declared that he was not guilty or took up his side. You know, Barabbas was an insurrectionist. And Barabbas was set free, along with the two thieves. You notice in verse 18, it says, And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a, sedition, a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Uh, verses 40 and 41, the thieves, the one thief says to the other, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art, thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. You know, many people have been falsely accused throughout time. But I would say to you this morning, there was never a man before or since the Lord Jesus Christ that was falsely accused who was not only not guilty of the charge, but also without any sin. You know, there have been many people falsely accused who weren't guilty of the crime committed them, but yet who were not without sin. But Jesus Christ was not only not guilty, he was without sin. 
Judas. Remember in Matthew's gospel, Judas said, I have betrayed innocent blood, speaking of the Lord Jesus. And here in Luke chapter 23, speaking of Christ, the centurion, verse 47 says, after he saw what was done, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. You see, Christ was without sin. He was not guilty of any crime. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For as much as you know that not redeem the corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In chapter 2, 1 Peter, verses 22 and 23, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Hebrews 7.26 says, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. Hebrews 9.14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit uh, offered himself without spot to God, Urge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. John says in his epistle in 1 John 2, 1, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the only one that could be said, the righteous. 1 John 3, 5 says, And you know he is manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In Acts chapter 2, verse 27, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. He never experienced corruption. He had no sin. You know, there was a reason why the angel speaking to Mary referred to him as that holy one. Because he was the sinless, spotless son of God. But he did not save himself from being condemned as the criminal to being having the greatest false allegation ever committed against him. But thirdly, he would not save himself so as to effect, to effect the greatest deliverance ever granted. Now I want to notice two things here. First of all, he chose not to save himself so we could be saved. Look at verses 35 through verses 37 again. It says, And the people stood holding him, and the rulers also with him derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he, be the Christ, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. So again, it wasn't, you know, he chose not to save himself. It wasn't that he could not. It is that he would not. You see, he was not powerless. He, he, told us, he tells us in John chapter 10, verse 18, that he had power to lay his life down, and he had power to take it in. This, this commandment have I been given me of my father. So he had power to lay it down, he had power to take it in. He, he said at one point, I could call ten, ten legions of angels. 
He could have called 10,000 legions of angels. But if Jesus was to save others, himself he could not save. He must endure the suffering and death in order that we might be delivered from the judgment our sins deserve. You know, the Bible says, Ezekiel 18, verses 4 and verse 20, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Again, verse 20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. You see, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. There's no escaping death as a consequence of sin. Proverbs 8.36 says, He that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. So if you refuse, if you hate Christ, it means you love death. You love being separated from God for all eternity. Now go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, I want to start verse 12 and I'm going to drop down to verse 17. It says, For wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So we are all under the sentence of death because of sin. And sin came into the world by Adam, and we know that. Uh, we drop down to verse 17. For by one man's offense, that would be Adam's, death reigned by one. Much more, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so the, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. More of the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so through Adam, by one man's offense, death reigned, but then through Christ, one man's righteousness, because he died in our place and took our penalty, and he gives to us, offers to us his righteousness, and we, when we receive that gift, we are justified or we are declared righteous in the sight of God. See, he had to die so that we could have life. There's no other way. Sin had to be paid for. And either you'll pay for your own sin or you'll accept God's payment. But to pay for your own. means an eternity in the lake of fire. So he chose not to save himself so that we could be saved. 
Now, I want to notice the second thing here. And this, you know, you ever say that blows my mind? This blows my mind. He put his murderers on the grounds of manslaughter rather than deliberate murder. Now, verses 33 and 34. It says, and when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, they were cruci- there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. You remember in the Old Testament, if a man was guilty of willful, deliberate murder, He was to be put to death. There was no escape. Genesis 9, 6 says, Who sheddeth man's blood? By man shall his blood be shed. So a deliberate, willful murderer was to be put to death. There was no exceptions. But God made a distinction between willful murder and one who slew in ignorance or accidentally. So Jesus' prayer here, Father, forgive them. Think about what he says. For they know not what they do. This prayer puts them on the grounds of manslaughter or accidental rather than deliberate murder. You might say, preacher, you're going a little far that. Peter and Paul both referred to this. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3, verse 13. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murder to be granted unto you. And killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, uh, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now notice this verse. And now, brethren, I wot that through, what's that next word? Ignorance. You did it. Now, to us, when we read the account, does it look like ignorance? But Peter says, through ignorance, you did it. As did also your rulers. Look at chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul also referred to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. But we speak, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory.
So when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, he was putting them on the grounds of manslaughter and not willful, deliberate You see, this makes it possible for God to save, to save even them. After all, you know, first two, chapter two, first John chapter two and verse two says, and he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And we read that later on in the book of Acts, that the, in Acts chapter six and verse seven, that the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of, guess who? The priests believed and were obedient to the faith. And even Stephen, Stephen, like his Lord, prayed as he died, Father, forgive them. But really, we need to ask ourselves a question. Who did put him to death? Who were the cause of him being humiliated? Who were the cause of the greatest false allegation ever committed? Who was the cause of him being uh, crucified and put to death? You know, if we're honest, we'd have to say, well, from Adam to the last person born, we'd all have to say, we were. We were. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, and sin is a transgression. It's an offense. We have all offended our God. So we're all guilty. We're all guilty. But God has provided a city of refuge in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to look at one final thing here. You know, he would not save himself that he might save you from the worst thing. That could happen to anyone. Go back to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Now Jesus suffered, I believe, greater than any man ever suffered. He was beaten. Uh, the physical beating was you know, enough, but you know, he sweat great drops of blood. That's a, that's a condition that uh, has a name, but... Uh, it it's it's a uh, uh, causes the skin to become fragile according to according to uh, Dr. William Edwards, uh, the scourging, uh, you know they 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 uh, uh, would scourge and, and whip a man to just short of collapse and death, and uh, and 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 then and then the walk. Then he had to carry his cross yet uh, to the place of execution, and and that is a severe. Uh, 
suffering and shame. But he said there's something worse than that. There's something worse than that. Notice, notice verse 28. Uh, let's read verse 27. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turning on them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children. For, behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? So they're weeping and bewailing because of what he's going to go, and he says, Don't weep for me. Don't weep for me. You know, he, he endured the cross, despising the shame. But he did it for the joy that was set before him. Hebrews, 11, or Hebrews 12 tells us. Verses 1. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. But for those who will not receive him, They will endure the punishment, the suffering, the weeping and wailing of the lake of fire, not for a time, but for all eternity. You know, the passage really is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, that's the immediate context. You know, God, God judged them severely. I mean, the, 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 the conquest of Jerusalem by Titus was horrific. Mothers ate their children. But there's something worse than that. The, 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 the prophecy goes further. It goes to Revelation chapter 6 where it talks about those who have rejected him will cry for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb, which will be poured out against them for all eternity. You see, if you, if you re- refuse to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will suffer worse. longer for eternity and he would not save himself so that he might save you from the wrath of God how do you explain that John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. See, Christ would not save himself so that you and I could be saved. 
so we could be delivered from the suffering and the judgment of Almighty God. Have you trusted him? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? If you have, are you obeying him as your Lord? Are you giving the message of hope to a lost and dying world that knows him not? He would not save himself. He that saveth his life shall lose it. You know, that's a picture for us. We need to lose our life in him. Give up your own way. Accept him. Trust him. Make him Lord of your life. Have you done that today?